Hello and welcome. I'm Joanne McDougall from the Scottish Government's Directorate for Energy and Climate Change and for the past seven years I've had the role of Geothermal Programme Manager. For those who don't know what geothermal is, it's the heat stored in the ground beneath our feet. In each of these climate conversations, a convener, which is me this time, brings together a panel of people to share their perspectives on a particular issue in the climate crisis. I am delighted to be joined today for this climate conversation by Alison, Bob and Colin. I'm going to invite each of them to introduce themselves, starting with Alison. I'm Alison Monaghan. I'm a geologist and I work at the British Geological Survey based in Edinburgh. My role in this conversation relates to the work I've been involved in setting up an underground observatory to look at shallow geothermal energy from mine workings in the east end of Glasgow. My name's Bob MacDonald. I was a chartered mining engineer uh, with the National Coal Board from 1949 to 1967. So I've had 18 years of experience both on the, on the coal face and in senior management. Over to you, Colin. Hello, I'm Colin Findlay. I'm a retired mechanical engineer. I started off in the steel industry and then became a, a consulting engineer. I've always been interested in industrial history, the steel industry history and local history and I got involved in uh, a large heritage lottery fund project to look at coal mining in South uh, Lanarkshire which is where I met Bob and um, we carried on our research and have ended up writing a book about local coal mining. Thank you very much everyone, that was great. Many people give no thought to what is under their feet as they walk across the street, as they drive through town centres and as they sit in the garden. However, we all each have a very different perspective of what is happening underground. Alison, if I can start with you, what does the subsurface mean to you as a scientist? Well, I think of the subsurface or the underground really as, as the whole earth. It's both a sink and a store for many things like carbon. It's a place where we get all of our resources, such as energy and water, and when I look at a landscape, I visualise what's underneath. And what I see is not just rocks that you might think of as hard static objects, but moving systems, dynamic systems. So that's what the subsurface means to me. It's, it's a dynamic system that really we use as humans for all sorts of our, our resources. For many decades, coal was key to life, business and industry in the UK. Bob, what was it like being part of the huge workforce which mined the coal to heat homes and businesses and keep industries powered? As you say, Joanne, when I was leaving school, the National Coal Board, which was formed on the 1st of January 1947, was, I believe, the, the largest employer in Europe. So it was a massive organisation offering a job for life. It was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It had its dangers. It wasn't certainly the easiest of careers, but I enjoyed the camaraderie. I have some wonderful memories of uh, working with the coal board and with men underground. Coal certainly is important. It's blamed for climate change nowadays, but uh, it was the main source of power for the Industrial Revolution, which made 
Britain a wealthy country that we benefit from today. I mean, without coal, technology wouldn't have developed as quickly as it has. And modern life with all its comforts, computers and smartphones wouldn't yet exist. Indeed, without coal, we wouldn't have developed the technology that, that we're using to make this podcast today. The main reason the, the steam engine and the railway system was developed was the profit that could be made from moving coal. Uh, the layout of the railway system following the coal fields shaped the growth of the towns and the uh, suburbs along the route. And that's where many of us now live, and it's been shaped because of coal. Uh, most younger people probably will never even have seen a piece of coal. And yet until the 1970s, when oil and gas were discovered in the North Sea, Coal was almost the only source of, for heating the home and for generating gas and electricity. So it certainly has been extremely important to the country. That, that is one of my disappointments when I realise that coal has been given such a bad name that people living today don't realise just the sweat, toil and tears that uh, was in that particular industry to produce the wealth. And it was because of that wealth that we live such a comfortable life today. People have forgotten that uh, the miners' wives, daughters and sons uh, worked underground with them. And it wasn't until just the 1800s that uh, boys below the age of 10 were prohibited from working down there. People, people don't realise that. So it was a dreadful uh, industry. In that respect, um, safety was of no consequence, and that's why I was delighted to end up as a, a ventilation engineer with the coal board because it was so important that fresh air and, of course, the dilution of methane gas to stop explosions and coal dust explosions, they had hard lives. If a miner was killed underground, within six weeks, the wife and family were asked to leave the house. And that's why in the mining communities, there, we didn't need social workers. The, the miners' families looked after each other. Uh, they were wonderful communities, but alas, no longer. We don't have communities like that any longer. People just don't realize the, the extent of mining that from, say, Paisley to Hamilton, uh, an area maybe uh, six miles wide and 40 miles long, uh, the entire area has been mined under. Another thing that struck me is that um, if you took somebody that's, say, 90 years old now, go back the same amount of time from before they were <laughs> born, that's back at the start of the Industrial Revolution when most of the coal mm -hmm. has been mined out in that yeah. period and burnt. So... <laughs> An awful lot of coal has been mined and burnt in two lifetimes. I'm the 90-year-old he's referring to, by the way. <laughs> As both Bob and Colin have said, the contribution of coal to Scotland and the UK with regards to heating our, our homes and businesses and powering our industries, it was a very significant contribution which lasted many decades. We're now in a situation where we've got a climate emergency and we're having to look at alternative means to heat our homes and buildings. Alison, would you like to comment on the, the contribution which fossil fuels have made? Like you, Joanne, I, I do think it is really important we understand there are many, many useful lessons we can learn from the past. Clearly, the, the work I'm talking about is really reusing the knowledge and the infrastructure that miners have made over many, many years. And 
I mean, certainly personally, when drilling boreholes into mines, it's a very, very strange feeling to drill into something that you know somebody has been under the ground mining out 100 years ago uh, and to be using that to, to look at alternative sources of heat that, that are low-carbon, sustainable sources of heat. But there is a very strange feeling to do that. And, and I think we all who've been involved in it do have the greatest of respect for the the people that did work down under the mines in conditions that are very different to the kind of health and safety regulations that we follow today. Yes, and um, Bob talked about methane gas being a potential hazard in mines. Now, water was another hazard. Colin, do you want to talk about the, the water problem that existed in the mines? Yes, um, water certainly has been a, a problem in mining because as soon as you're below the water table in the ground, uh, the mine that you're in is going to start flooding. The steam engine that led the way in the Industrial Revolution, that was originally invented just to pump water out of mines as well as uh, haul the coal or ore out of a mine. Just to give you an idea of the water problem, um, at Gateside Collier in Cambus Lang, uh, between about 1930 and when it closed in 1968, they were pumping out 3,500 gallons a minute. This is equivalent to filling an Olympic swimming pool every hour of the day. And that's just from one colliery. But all this mine water and the abandoned uh, workings could now certainly be a potential source for both collecting the heat and being able to extract the heat from below the ground. Yes, yeah, so this water that has collected in the mine workings could be accessed and, and used. Alison, what is it that the British Geological Survey are hoping to learn from the research that is being done in the East End of Glasgow? So the Geological Survey has been involved in a project where we've been drilling boreholes into the old mine workings and putting in a lot of monitoring and sensing infrastructure to measure various physical parameters to do with that work. And we're hoping to look at the heat that can be extracted from the water that's flooded into the old mines to be used for decarbonised heat or renewable and sustainable heat for heating our homes and buildings. Can I add something? People forget that sometimes, uh, Alison, I'm sure you'll agree, that for every tonne of coal that was raised, some pits were raising three, four, five tonnes of water. <laughs> People didn't realise that water was a problem underground uh, when mining coal, not just gas. What history has showed us is we had that change from the Industrial Revolution where people's lives suddenly changed, and that was because of coal. And then now we're almost going through this uh, next shift from oil and gas into uh, whatever the future is with geothermal and so on. And that's been interesting, these shifts in people's lives, that because we're going through them, we just happen to now be at a point where there is a significant change again. Alison, the, the research that's being done, could you tell us what contribution my motor geothermal could make to our, our daily lives and what sort of resource are we talking about? I mean, the, the coal industry lasted a, a number of decades. So what sort of shelf life do you think that the heat in the ground beneath our feet has? Thanks, Joan. So, yeah, I think there's two really interesting questions in, in what you just asked there. So, first of all, the potential for geothermal heat from mines 
The Cone Authority estimate that about 25% of homes and businesses across the UK are located on old coal fields. So there is a huge number of homes and businesses that are in close proximity to where there's a potential heat source. And these are also communities that are often areas of urban regeneration. So they're often communities that also need the heat a great deal more than some other communities. So there is great potential for mine water heat in the right place if we can extract it from the ground and use it to heat homes and buildings. The other question that you asked was, was how long does it last? So that's a question that scientists are just starting to look at is how to also use the underground to store heat. So in the summer, we may well have more heat than we need. And the underground has a potential to also store the heat underground for us to then be able to use it later. So be able to use it in the winter, for example. What that means in the long term is that the resource is sustainable. So the it doesn't run out, basically. It's a renewable resource. And so different sizes of, of mine water heat schemes could be applicable in different parts of the country. It depends very much on the geology and the hydrogeology. But by using the underground both as a source of heat and sometimes as a store of heat, we're looking at how we can make that sustainable for the very long term. You said that um, the the resource that can be extracted from um, mine workings is very much dependent on the the geology and the hydrogeology. I mean, the the work that's been done in the east end of, of Glasgow is how relevant is it then to other parts of the UK and to, to even other countries? Yeah, so clearly each mine system that is under the ground is going to be slightly different and the the geology of that and the hydrogeology of it is slightly different. But there are some very general things that we can learn from any particular site about the way heat moves, the way it's transferred in the subsurface that are applicable to a wide range of towns and cities both across the UK and internationally as well and we kind of have to start somewhere we have we have to start with one place and then try another place and that's where the infrastructure we've got in Glasgow comes in in that that's a place where people can do that kind of research to try and reduce the costs and reduce the risks of these technologies and also to check out whether there are any environmental impacts of the technology that would make people concerned so that we have the right evidence that's open for people to look at so that people living in these towns and cities can be confident that this technology is not damaging their environment. The work we're doing in Glasgow is is really complemented by other mine water heat schemes, particularly in the northeast of England. There's a lot of activity in commercial schemes that are going to actually supply homes and businesses there that have a slightly different role than the observatory, which is more of a research infrastructure. So together, those different aspects will help us to solve some of the challenges that currently exist for widespread rollout of shallow geothermal technologies and mine water heat technology. So population centres grew up around the the coal mines and those population centres are still there. You know, we've got villages and, and towns and they will be looking for heating sources. So, Alison, um, exactly 
how could the the heat that's in this this water um, under their feet in these um, abandoned mine workings, how could that contribute to their daily life? What sort of temperatures will they be able to get from that um, water, and what could that temperature, that sort of heat, be used for? Mine water heat schemes can be at different scales, so. They could be uh, small-scale schemes that just supply a few houses or, or a municipal building, or they could be much larger schemes that supply district heating networks. So the temperatures under the ground may be about 12 to 20 degrees in the water that you pump out of the water through a borehole. But what you do then is you put it through a heat pump, a ground source heat pump, and that elevates the temperature to the kinds of temperatures that people need for heating their homes and buildings, so 40, 50, 60 degrees. And then the mine water is put back in a sealed system in back into the mines. And in that way, it's a renewable system because it then trickles through the mines and becomes reheated by the geothermal gradient and can be reused again. So perhaps building on that, recognising that um, mine water geothermal has a potential role to play in the renewable heating solutions, what do you think needs to be done in order to promote awareness of this resource? A lot of people will have heard of um, ground source heating for, for the home, replacing gas boilers. And really, the geothermal energy is just like a large-scale version of that, that you're extracting the heat and using it to keep on adding heat, adding heat, adding heat to build up till you get a, a good temperature for in the house. So it's really just a, a giant ground source heat system. Bob, how would you feel if these mine workings got a, a new lease of life and which helped people heat their homes and businesses, but in a way which reduced carbon emissions? It's a wonderful heritage to think, as I say, of the hard work uh, and tears that went into extracting the coal to leave the spaces underground filled with water. The coal was first of all mined for heat, to produce heat. And as I say, we have a relic now which will remind us of the heritage of all that coal that was mined out, but now filled with water. I think it's wonderful. Alison, do you see the, the heat that's in the mine workings having a key role to play in renewable heating going forward? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the whole point of the government investment in the observatory is to really pick apart the evidence base to try and repurpose things like mine working to get shallow geothermal get the evidence base there so that the cost uncertainties and the risk uncertainties are reduced for um, businesses and communities to use these resources. So, so a real positive coming out of our industrial heritage. So I think how I feel about this going forward is positive, but yeah, we, we must remember where all this came from. So geothermal isn't new. It's been around for centuries and has been used over the, the years by a number of, of countries and civilizations even. However, using the, the heat that's that's much deeper, you know, that's hundreds of metres, even thousands of metres below the ground, that's still quite new in Scotland and in the, the UK. But it would be really good to see increased awareness of that resource and people looking at ways to take advantage of it. Thank you very much to Bob McDonald, Colin Findlay and Dr Alison Monaghan. Thank you for having us. Thank you. (laughs) These climate conversations are from the Natural Environment Research Council and the Glasgow Science Centre. They are produced by Bespoken Media. 